Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk Mackle. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. Welcome to Photoactive. I'm Jeff Carlson. My co-host, Kirk McLearn, is currently ill for this episode, but that's okay because we have someone else to talk to, and that will be Dan Bailey. Dan Bailey is a photographer and the author of the Rocky Notebook Fujifilm X-Series Unlimited. And we're going to go with the full title, Mastering Techniques and Maximizing Creativity with Your Fujifilm Camera, because we can never have any short book titles anymore. <laughs> Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, Jeff. How's it going? It's going really, really well. So as, as listeners know, uh, Kirk and I both shoot Fujifilm cameras. And so that that's part of the reason why uh, we came to this topic. Um, but not entirely the reason, because as you also know, we don't really cover gear extensively. We do as needed, especially when we're talking about some specialized types of photography. But you know, there are so many gear podcasts out there. We don't want to clutter up and we'd rather talk to interesting people. So when we saw uh, this you book. You came to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, everybody. We're all okay. done. We don't have okay. any interesting Bye. people. <laughs> so, uh, you know. I can fake it. Oh, good. Okay. Well, so can yeah. I. Uh, so when we saw uh, Dan's book, uh, obviously we were drawn to it because we we're Fuji shooters. But if you go to Dan's website, and we'll have a link in the show notes, uh, you will see a wealth of amazing imagery. Uh, he is a commercial photographer, a landscape photographer, a helicopter pilot, uh, all sorts of things that we're going to get into. So basically, this is a interesting talk with an interesting photographer and who happens to have a book. So let's just start at the top. Uh, with the book stuff, because that's that's sort of top of mind. Um, I noticed in your book you said you started out by making a free PDF of uh, Fuji tips and tricks, and then that sort of snowballed into this book. Can you tell me more about like how did that happen and what what drove you to write a book? Yeah, the way that 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 came about that's that's uh, in part true. I think it was 2015. Uh, I'm, I had been using the Fuji cameras, I, I've been using them since 2011 and then full time since about 2014 uh, or 2000, yeah, I think 2000, beginning of 2014 is when the X-T1 came out and when that hit, I had been using the X-10, the X-20 and the X-E2 or the X-E1 and when the X-T1 came out, that was kind of the first weather sealed, uh, you know, outdoor, rugged, fast autofocus model that they had introduced. And so I jumped in with two feet and, and I fell in love with that camera and that kind of began the, this transformation of my entire photography world, my life. And, and then I got the X-T2 and, and I just, you know, having been vested in the camera system for a number of years, I knew the system inside and out. I knew its capabilities. I knew what it couldn't do. I knew uh, what the what I felt were some of the most important features that the X series brought to photographers and the creative options they allowed us. 
and the mindset, the kind of a new photography approach that they that they fostered, and and so I was I was so excited about those things, and I would write about those on my blog, and. Uh, in 2015, I think it was April when I released that free ebook. I wrote a book called, you know, Fujifilm Tips and Tricks, and it was just, a, like you said, a free ebook that was, that was uh, in part designed to, you know, get some new subscribers. A lot, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people give out free, free PDF files uh, in exchange for newsletter subscribers. But I, I felt it was a, a, a pretty good uh, manual for for people who were just getting into the series, because there were a number of things that, that, you know, coming from DSLRs, things that, some things that were, were similar, and so I kind of explained how to, you know, decipher them with the Fujis, but there were some elements that, that weren't present in DSLRs, and so people, you know, didn't know what was available to them for, you know, creative options. And so, <clears throat> as the next couple of years went on, uh, I... I just became even more knowledgeable about the X-Series, and I, I started teaching classes and doing uh, presentations for Fujifilm. They would uh, bring me to camera stores around the country, and I would do classes and talk about how I used the system. Mm-hmm. And then I started uh, teaching a couple of workshops where I would see people who had come, in, who had come from DSLRs, and I, just, I noticed that there were so many things that people didn't know and, and it's understandable there, you know, a, a camera, digital camera these days has a hundred menu items and an unbelievable number of settings. And, you know, most people don't geek out on all that stuff. And, and I can geek out on the settings and, and, and I'm excited about all the things that are, you know, the camera can do, but most people don't dig in and, and, and really understand exactly what their camera can do. And so I was teaching a, a class at Glazer's camera uh, in in the uh, first week in June of 2017, and and it was it was an X series class, and people just kept raising their hand the whole time with questions. Can it do this? Can my XT2 do this? How do I do this? Can I do back button focus? Can I do this? How do I do this? And I and so I was kind of you know here's my ten tips and here's some more advanced features beyond the ten tips, but it was just nonstop questions and people were clearly interested in. Well, how do I do this? What else can I do? You know, how do I make the camera do this? What can it do this? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, you, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to write it all down. You, damn it. <laughs> so, and I'd considered, you know, maybe six months prior, I considered writing a book, a, a more substantial guide to the to the cameras, and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to write a camera manual. Come on, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so after this class, I was like, uh, I'm going to write it all down. That's it. You forced me. So I went home. I flew back home. And the next day, I sat down at my laptop. And I, and I, just, I just pulled out my X-T2. And I just made topic headings that corresponded to every single menu item in the camera. And I started writing. Mm-hmm. Here's what it does. Here, here's how to use it. And here's some photos to illustrate what this setting does, what this setting does, what this setting does. Here's how, here's how I use this setting. Oh, this setting does this, but don't worry about it. Don't, you don't need to know, you know, most people won't need to worry about that. And so in a month, I had a 50,000 word ebook. And uh-huh. I released that in July 2017. And it sold like crazy. And it was the best selling ebook I'd ever published. And so it just snowballed from there. And then I was at Photo Plus uh, later that year. 
and uh, and I went to introduce myself, and I said, "Hi, I'm Dan Bailey." I'd like, you know, and they were like, "Hey, we know who you are. Uh, we want to talk to you." Yeah. Uh, we want to we want to do your book as a book, and I was like, "Funny, that's why I came over." To, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. These so, are the folks at Rocky Nook. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. met the. So I met the Rocky Note guys, and, and by the end of the show, we were like, yeah, we're going to do this book and, and a print version. And so I went home, and I reworked some of the text to make it kind of applicable to book form. And, and about just about a year ago, uh, it came out as a print book. Yeah. So, so you know, we, we've mentioned on the podcast before the importance of RTFM, uh, Read the Fuji Manual. And... Um, <laughs> I, I like to do R T D B E B. Read Dan Bailey's book. <laughs> Read well, Dan Bailey's book. Yeah. Well, that, that's kind of the thing because you know I've I've gone through the manual and it's like most manuals. It will tell you what to do. It will tell you what these settings, uh, you know, what turns on, what turns off. But there's often very little context of of, of what these things mean, and I think more importantly for me is, you know, yes, reading the manual can be kind of dry, like the information is all there. And it helps to have somebody like you to interpret that for somebody. But the other question that I have is, you know, like, how much do you really need to know about the camera? You know, I've, I've, I've been shooting uh, an X-T1 for uh, like the last four years, and I got an X-T3 this year. And, you know, I don't know everything that's in the camera because part of me part of me knows that that I don't need everything there. And so, you know, do I want to fill up my brain with everything that the camera can do versus what are the things that are most important for me now? Right. And so I I had that in mind when I wrote the book. And so the entire first section of the book, which is about a third of the text is mm-hmm. I think we called it uh, really important stuff you need to know. And right. uh, and so it, it's a chapter that breaks down what I feel are the the fundamental aspects of the system. And then after that, I go into, I, I that's where I go into all the settings. And I list every setting, every, mm-hmm. you know, every, the next, the next series of chapters is, okay, this is the image quality menu section. And then every setting goes down and I talk about those. But the first, that first, section of this is the important stuff i talk about what i feel the fundamentals i talk about the film simulations how the focus system works uh how to how do i track fast moving subjects command dials the touch screen the cue menu um and then i have some kind of less techy you know less gear intensive but more method like why are the fujifilm x-series images so film-like you know, how to shoot fast action, you know, here's my recommended function button settings. Right. So how to navigate the menu. So I, 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 I kind of, that's my introduction to help lead people into the book and here are the fundamental things that you should know. One thing that you mentioned was you had that audience at Glazer's, you know, asking all sorts of questions. And I think that's sort of a, a you know, a, a selective audience because these are people who are there that, are more interested in sort of digging into the guts of what the camera can do in general. Like, do you have a sense of like how much of my camera should I know if I'm, 
you know, a regular shooter, do I need to get into a lot of that stuff? And and I I say that with the you know the big asterisk floating over my head that's like, well, yes, I should know, but how much do people end up really knowing? I'd be very surprised if the average user knew everything in the book. I right, mean, I, right. I have to refer back sometimes, but you know, that, just that's why you put it I, in a book. <laughs> that's why I put it in the book. Yeah, and so when people ask me questions, I go to my book. <laughs> um, you know, for example. You know, if, if I ask the average person, what does shutter AE, shutter AF function do, they're not going to know. Mm-hmm. But if I ask, that's why I have the introductory section. If I ask, talk about the film simulations, they know that. If they, if they want to ask about bracketing, yeah, they probably know that. So or is it, there, there's a fundamental approach that I have, and that's to embrace the funness and the simplicity that kind of matches the design of the X-Series. I'm shooting like I'm shooting film with, again, with my goal is to, is to exercise my creativity in the moment and walk away with the finished photo that I love that represents the ideas and the excitement that I had about the scene when I was there. That's something that we've also talked about uh, previously in the podcast and is just acknowledging that, that these cameras do so much uh, that you know, it, it's it's okay to to give up some of that control and know that you know, like there's been a mountain of thought and money poured into how can the sensor get a better shot? How how can it alleviate uh, you know a situation so that you're more focused on you know capturing whatever's happening in front of you rather than wondering you know oh, like like which kind of focus do I need for this particular situation? And there are certainly times when you want to, you know, be very deliberate about that. But it seems that, I don't know, it's almost the, uh, dare I say, like, like, like the Apple approach of, you know, don't focus so much on your gear. You should be focusing on, on what you're capturing. And you know that what you're going to get is going to be good. And if you have that interest or if you are approaching some sort of specific situation you know you're you're shooting sports like you need something that is going to be more demanding than just what the camera can do on auto then you know you can dig deep into your book you can dig deep into the settings and and all of that yeah and that's a good way to think about it so i yeah you don't Someone's not just going to sit down and read the book cover to cover and then remember everything. Right. But if they say, hey, I'm going to go shoot my kid's soccer game this, this weekend, uh, I can read Dan's book and, ch- and kind of dig into the autofocus section and figure out which settings might work for, for that scene. And then mm-hmm. maybe after, this, after it all went down, they'll come back and they'll go, well, this didn't work so well. Maybe I'll try this setting next time. Because that's, that's what photography is all about is experimentation. Yeah, and and kind of going back to the the first thing that we were talking about um, that you had mentioned, people focus heavily on the gear. I think there's one other element that people focus on. There are a lot of big names out there on the web, and and we all know who they are, and they've indoctrinated us, and they've made us think that we have to do these things a certain way. And so we, a lot of us, a lot of people approach photography in a way that we think we need to because if we don't then we're going to get laughed at by the really serious <laughs> photographers on the yeah. web 
yeah. as we post our stuff in the forums. I'm living proof that you don't have to do everything the way we were taught we were supposed to. And if I do it with confidence and I get good results and I love what I love the pictures I get, that's what matters. This is also something that I found personally. You start thinking about gear, you start thinking about what it's capable of, and there's this push toward, you know, is everything in focus? Is this correctly exposed? And I'm sure you have the same experience. Like, I have plenty of shots that are not technically good that I love because, you know, there there's an emotion there or, you know, it's, you know, a, a picture of a person caught at, you know, like an awkward angle, you know, I'm, I'm doing air yeah. quotes, you know, awkward angle where you're like, well, that's not the way to do it. And yet you look at that and there's, there's story, there's emotion, there's, you know, something to it that makes it a good photo. I find it especially interesting that we've been talking about a book that covers the settings and the technical, and yet we're doing it all in the service of the emotion and the image and you know, getting a good shot that's good for you, the ones that you enjoy. Right. And and that's the approach that I've taken in my teaching and my writing in the past number of years. And so that that's why it was so why I felt it was easy for me to write this book, because it was a natural extension of the kind of stuff I write on my blog, which is very much in the line of real world tips and advice for people. Don't worry about this. This is what matters. Don't get caught up in this trap. Don't worry about this. But if you do want to do this, here are some tips that I use to let you accomplish this with, with your cameras. Mm-hmm. And because the reality is that we've won. Yay. The war is over. <laughs> we've won everything in photography. We have, it, does, every single camera has a great sensor, a great image processor, great autofocus system. You can make fantastic pictures with any, any single camera that you can buy, whether it's Fuji or not. And it's just a matter of how you use it. If you have a great scene shot in great light and you capture a great moment or a fleeting expression or you, or you document a memory that means something to you or someone else, nobody will ever care what ISO you used, mm-hmm. whether there's, there's any noise in the shadows or any of that stuff. Nobody cares because it doesn't matter. What matters is the light, the moment, and the, and the, the feeling that you've captured in your photo. No one will care if your histogram's blown if you do it deliberately and you walk away with a shot that has a cool message. Yes. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a short break, <laughs> and then we're going to come back and talk a little. We're going to go back in time a little bit and talk about uh, your photography and, and what you do, uh, regardless of the camera. And uh, we'll be right back. We are back. We're talking with Dan Bailey, as you know. I want to go back a little bit and just talk about you as a photographer, regardless of gear. And we've covered a lot of that. But I, I'm, I'm curious, just you know, in a real short way, like, like, how did you get started? How did you get to the point where you are now a full-time photographer? You do commercial work. 
you lead helicopter tours. I want to know more about that. Uh, like, you know, what what fed you into this life? Uh, so I've I've always uh, I've always liked being outside, mm-hmm. and I've always liked being active, and I've always had some kind of creative outlet, which for much of my earlier life was music. I actually went to Berkeley College of Music for guitar and recording engineering. But while I was there, I had this crazy notion to buy a camera. I just one one day was like, "Hey, I'm gonna buy a camera. That look, that, I think that'll be fun." Yeah. And I'd had I had little Kodak Instamatics when I was younger, but the the notion of buying a real camera appealed to me suddenly. And so I bought a little Nikon FM2, and I started shooting with that, and I fell in love with photography. And so I continued along that trend of for a few years of, of exploring and improving. And and I didn't pursue a career in the music business because uh, I decided I didn't want to sit inside in, inside windowless recording studios and smoky bars. And so I just started chasing photography as a passion, and I worked... I landed a job as a, an, an assistant photo editor at a small stock photo agency in Boston. And that taught me a lot about how the, the business works and how the photography business, at least how it worked at the time. And uh, then 1990, the end of 95, I moved to Colorado. And at the end of 96, I got fired from my day job by my jerk boss. <laughs> and I panicked for about an hour and I went home with my tail between my legs. And then I realized, hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to make it go photography. And so I took my experience and knowledge about the business and I just started. And I started contacting outdoor clients and magazines, like outside magazine, Patagonia. And within a short while, I'd started had, had picture published. And I would shoot rock climbing and ice climbing and kayaking and mountain biking and skiing and things like that. And so I was, within a couple of years, I... I kind of established myself as one of the up-and-coming professional adventure photographers. Now, did you shoot those and, and pitch those because those were things you were already doing? Or you you looked at the magazine and said, hey, they probably need some uh, you know ice climbing photos, and I can, I can figure out how to do that. No, I was, I was genuinely excited about outdoor photography. I was a, a protege of the Galen Rowell School of Photography. Mm-hmm you know, adventure outside fast and light, uh, and, and be a first, you know, first person participation, you know, for participant in the scene. Yeah. You know, you're, you're right there, right there in the middle of the action. And that, that's, that's, I think my kind of epitomizes my style. I like to put myself right in the middle of the action and capture photos that, that bring the viewer right into the scene. Cause that's what, that what my vantage, that's what my vantage point is. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, did a workshop with Galen in Nepal in 1993. And I ran into him a few times after that over the years until he died. And so I, I feel like I'm trying to carry on his legacy with style and also his method of instruction. And, and the, I, I love the way he wrote about photography and, and taught people, you know, I, he, he thought very deeply about some of these topics and, and approached them not so much from a gear standpoint, but from a method and approach and, and creative ideas and technical knowledge in the sense that you understand how the camera sees and how to translate that to capturing an image because the camera doesn't always match what you see mm-hmm. between your eyes. You know. And so when I started 
in my pro photography career, I spent the first number of years as a working pro adventure photographer, shooting assignments and selling stock photos to magazines and catalogs and, and to a couple of different agencies. And that carried along just fine, uh, you know, even weathered the, the 9-11 crash. And then after the 2008 crash, I moved to Alaska, and that was 11 years ago. And I, I showed up in Alaska as the new guy in town in a good old boy network type of situation where everybody had been, you know, hiring the same guys for years and years. Yeah. And I actually called on a company one time and tried to market myself, and they said, well, we always use so-and-so. And so I started writing and trying to, and trying to figure out well, how, what can I add to my photography to try to improve, you know, try to round this out. Right. And so I started writing and blogging, and actually had a paid, uh, landed a paid blogging gig with a uh, photography site called the Photo Literiate. And, and I was their senior contributor for a couple of years, and I got to write about whatever I wanted, and they would publish my work every week. And, and so that really, I had a blog by then, but that really kind of kick-started my, my blogging career. And after that folded, I just brought all that back to my own site, and I started writing ebooks and 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 I started my blog turned into a, an educational uh, outlet, and you know people search for things because they want to learn things. Right. And I started to realize, you know, there's a lot of people who buy cameras, or rather, a lot of people who get into photography with iPhones. And they, you know, shoot Instagram, and then they're like, oh, wait, this is fun. Maybe I'll buy a real camera. Oh, wait, how do I use it? Right. You know, okay, if you want to shoot outdoor photos, come to my site. And so that's just how my site evolved, and eventually a book came out of I wrote my first book, uh, Outdoor Adventure Action Photography, for Focal Press. And and I just started, just kept going from there with with instruction. And I, I've come to... to really value that aspect and I kind of prefer teaching people more than shooting assignments now because when you shoot an assignment it's like this high pressure thing where some you know some stressed that art director has got to meet his budget and get it all done and then when you're when you're finished with the job they pay you and they publish the photos and after a month later they're all gone hmm. and if I can reach people and teach them how to use their cameras and they go out in the world and they shoot photos they love with an increased, increased level of confidence and skill and creativity, you know, the more people who are out shooting photos and being confident with their creativity, the, the world's going to be a better place. Well, you know, even at, at the very basic level, uh, you know, so I can honestly say I am not a morning person at all. Uh, like, I would much rather sleep in. But... If I'm in a position where I can go shoot a sunrise, if I'm on a workshop or if I'm traveling or what have you, I really enjoy getting up that early. And you find yourself usually in, you know, a, a nice situation, whether the sky is performing for you or not, like you're still out, you're in the air. And that's so different from, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly a writer who is also a photographer. So I spend a lot of time in this office right here, you know, writing. And so that, that sense of getting out that I think a lot of, a lot of our listeners and a lot of people who are, are taking up photography, you know, like you may go out and just have a completely skunked day. 
and you're not happy with any of your pictures, and yet you've been out in you know some beautiful place or interacting with interesting people for a couple of hours, and you know it's so easy for us to to think about the technical results and whether this shot was good or not, or whether I got what I was going for, and then you have to you know sit back and go, oh, but I spent an amazing morning watching a sunrise and went out and had this great breakfast afterwards. Yeah. It's, yeah, you, you just, it's easy to get caught up in the trap of, Oh, I, I just wasted my morning because I didn't get the photo right. And it's nothing sharp and yeah, yeah. the sun didn't rise, but you just, like you said, you just spent the morning outside in nature and, and thinking about things and, or, or meditating, you know, inadvertently meditating, yeah, clearing your mind and, or, or filling it with, with different thoughts. And the other thing is that it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a 20-year pro or whether you're an amateur who's been doing photography for six months. If you get a photo that you love and you nail the scene, it feels the same for everybody. Yeah, It's an amazing feeling to capture an image that, that's stunning, that you love, and that you, you know, overcame whatever technical or creative problems that were inherent in that scene. And you get your camera settings right, and you got in the right position, and you waited for the perfect light, and you press the shutter just the right time. That feels the same whether you, yeah, it feels the same for everybody. And so that's yeah. that's the kind of confidence and excitement I want to sh- I want people to have. So you live in Alaska, a gorgeous, gorgeous place. What draws you when you go out to shoot? So whether it's it's a commercial. Uh, assignment or if it's just something that you're shooting personally is it you know sunsets is it glaciers um i noticed that you uh you're you're a pilot do you do you own your own helicopter i'm, oh. I'm actually i i own my own airplane i'm i'm not a helicopter airplane. pilot oh sorry I, I, sorry yeah so i'm i'm a, a licensed pilot and i own a 1947 cessna 120 on tundra tires so i can land on gravel bars and and um you know, beaches and, and grass strips. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's kind of like my Subaru with wings. So that's my, <laughs> my two, that's one of my preferred methods to go out and shoot photos is, is take the photo out to the glaciers and land on the gravel bars and hike up out to the ice or land on the, the mud flats and explore the, the nature out there. Uh, I went out the other night and, and land on the mud flats and I just, I just stood out there, and it was, it was silent except for the slight breeze and and the the birds, the shorebirds that were, you know, out in the ponds out there. And meanwhile, I can see the orange sun going down, turning red because we've had all these wildfires nearby, uh-huh. and so our, we've been dealing with huge amounts of smoke uh, in our region for for weeks now. Um, and I like to go ride my bike with my camera. I love bike touring, and I'll, and that that's one of the reasons the Fuji system has been so wonderful for me because I don't want to carry heavy gear anymore. I like yeah. to travel light and fast, and I and I'll often when I tour on my bike or hike, I'll just often hike just travel with the camera slung around my my neck, my shoulder, and that's it. You know, I just I don't want to carry a bunch of heavy gear. I, I in the winter time I shoot aerials out of my plane uh that i winter time seems to be the best time for that because uh the light is fantastic in the winter and all the mountains are covered in snow and so i'll go up about an hour before sunset and i'll you know climb up around the mountains 
and I'll open the window and it might be 10 below outside the window. And, you know, I slow the plane down to about 70 or 80 miles an hour and just open the window and make big circles around these huge formations and just shoot glaciers and mountains and snow fields and this beautiful orange pink light. Mm. And that's one of the most satisfying types of photos I've ever shot. They, to me, they just, they invoke such a feeling of adventure and rugged wild wildness and wilderness that's awesome being able to 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 know that thing that you've been to know that thing that you're chasing and and to nail it for me it's like uh you know fog uh fog or misty hills you know where, where you have like like the the different layers i swear like i have a ton of those pictures i don't know that i've <laughs> actually you know been really happy with with any of them yet but i know it's out there like my brain just goes right to it, my my my, my photographic eye, um, which you know is another thing that I find when I'm out shooting. Like you you see differently, and it, it's nice to to like switch into that that mindset. Um, yeah, and, and then when you when you nail it, like you were talking about the the fog and the the hills. I was in the Great Smokies a couple of years ago, and a guy, a friend of mine took me up to Klingman's Dome, which is, you know, the, the standard overlook for the Great Smokies. Mm -hmm. And we, we really had the perfect evening, pink, purple light with layers of, you know, seven layers of stacked hills. And I was like, wow, I nailed it my first time here. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and, and that's a great feeling. But then what happens when you go out next time? And so that's, that's where I, I love exploring these, these ideas of, how do you expand your creativity? Because you don't just want to repeat exactly what you did last time. Right. And so you try to come up with different techniques and, and explore scenes in different ways. Use different lenses, different color palettes, different film simulations, different angles, and try to, yeah, try to create a, a, a different, more, you know, different unique scene than what you shot last time. Because you don't want all your pictures to look the same all the time. Right. You know, I'm I'm continuously evolving with my style. At least I I think I am, and and so I'm always trying to. That's one of the things about the the Fuji cameras. I I will dig in and say, oh, well, I'll try this setting this time. I'll try this, and I'll I'll try to figure out how I can alter my you know just adjust my approach to this scene this time. Yeah. Because you never know what you're going to get, and sometimes you'll blow it. But again, you. You you just spent time in nature, so who cares? Exactly, cool. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic talk. We're going to have uh, you know links to all, all of your your stuff to your website, um, photos. I encourage everybody to go check it out. Thank you so much for the time today. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Jeff. Now, thanks to the magic of podcasting, even though Kirk was ill yesterday when we were recording with Dan. Uh, Kirk is here now, and he's feeling much better, and it's time for our snapshots. Kirk. Yes, I'm much better, and I'm sorry I missed the interview yesterday, but I look forward to editing it to hear what you guys talked about. It was a really good interview, if I may say so, and I may because uh, here I am. So, Jeff, what have you got this week? So my snapshot is completely boring. Uh, it is replacement lens caps, and I know people probably rolled their eyes, and yet I'm sure you've lost a lens cap. I've lost several, and it's it's just annoying. And so I went on Amazon, of course, and found some inexpensive lens cap replacements. You can buy them in packs of like five or ten for like maybe ten bucks or so. Um, the ones that I ordered, they 
all have little uh, strings and lens cap holders that you can attach to your lenses, which I immediately ignored because I don't want any sort of thing lens cap dangling off of my lens when I shoot. I see people do this and it just like makes my hair stand on end because I don't want anything clacking or, or hitting. And so that also means that I occasionally lose lens caps. So this way I stow a couple in my bag and I always have one just in case one drops or whatever. Um, what's important when you're looking for these is to get the right size. And in this case, um, I'm replacing one from my 27 millimeter f2.8 lens, uh, my, my Fuji lens. And it's a 39 millimeter lens cap. And on the lens, you can see after it says 27 millimeter uh, 2.8, there's like a little zero with a line through it and then 39, and that indicates what size you need. Yes, that's the diameter symbol, and that's the size you need for filters as well as lens caps. Yes. So, And it's annoying that lenses are all different sizes, so you can't use the same filters on all your lenses unless you get step-up and step-down rings. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, I've also seen, like, the, there's something out there that's, like, the only lens cap you ever need, and it's got, like, a, a, a rubber collar around it, and that just seems so, so overdone like you know maybe it's great for some people i just need a cheapo lens cap so i don't scratch my lens when it's in my bag that's it so yeah it's a good idea i should do that i keep dropping them sometimes when i go out and taking pictures someplace and i usually find them but if i lose one then i'm stuck yeah yeah so you know have a few at the ready and you'll be fine you don't need to worry about it anymore super boring but absolutely helpful kirk what do you have this time I have another book. Um, to follow up on my immersion in Michael Kenna's photographic artwork, um, I picked up a book that I had put off buying over the years because I, how could it be interesting? Pictures of a factory. Mm. Um, th- there's a factory called the Ford River Rouge Complex, also just known as the Rouge. And Michael Kenna was very interested in this. I'm going to just read a sentence from the introduction to the book. Uh, um, A a well-known photographer named Charles Shearer had done a bunch of photos in 1927, and Michael Kenner found these really interesting. Um, Shearer's images of the Rouge are often cited as paragons of machine-age precisionist art. And so Michael Kenner went there, I think it was from 1992 to 1995. We'll have a link in the show notes to a gallery on his website where you can see, I don't know, pretty much 100 photos. And there are a couple things that strike me about them. One, they're clearly Michael Kenna photos. Um, Knowing his work well enough, you see the same types of composition, repeated elements. You see, even in an industrial environment, this minimalism. But the second thing is that they do have this character of almost brutalist Soviet era. Um, you You can imagine the people marching, holding the flags in front of some of these photos. Um, there's one in particular, which is he, he took several photos of these eight smokestacks together from different angles because this guy, Charles Schiller, had had an iconic photo of that. And there's one where the um, smokestacks are going up and then there are these two, I don't know what you call them, the things that where you pour gravel down, right? And there's two of them crossing in the front. And the geometry of this is fascinating. Um, some of the photos are extremely minimalist, you know, sky, long exposure, clouds moving, um, isolated elements. There are no people. You don't see any people anywhere. Um, some of them are in the snow. Some of them, there's sunlight. Some of them are close up. Some of them are distance. And there's in particular one shot that I really like. 
in among those eight smokestacks looking up and he took one shot during the day and he took another shot at night with a long exposure without moving his camera in exactly the same position. So the contrast of the two, and, and, and they're on opposite pages in the book, um, is fascinating. It's almost like a normal photo and an infrared photo because of the light on the smokestack. In any case, don't think that a book of photos of a huge industrial factory isn't interesting because with a photographic eye like this, it is extremely fascinating. That's really the point, though, isn't it? I mean, you can take anything and you have a, if you have a good photographic eye, make it interesting. This actually reminds me of another photographer, um, a guy named Joseph O. Holmes, who is in New York City, and he did a series called Custom Machinery. I'll put a link in the show notes. And just basically going around New York and finding, like, small, old and dying industries, little tiny presses and uh, machine shops and things like that. Uh, really interesting work. So you can find interesting stuff everywhere. You know, that brings me to mind. Um, let's throw a challenge out to the people who are listening. Um, share some shots of sort of banal, boring, factory-ish kind of things in the, the Photoactive Facebook group. Let's see some examples of your your eye and, and things that may not be immediately interesting to mind, but once you get it in front of a camera, they can be much, much more interesting. <laughs> 